0: Praise the Lord, everyone out there in YouTube and podcast land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution podcast. I'm glad to be back with you uh, so we can start this uh, number two, uh, part two of the series that I'm doing on the Church of Philadelphia 310. And tonight we're going to be continuing our conversation on the hour of testing that's coming to try the whole world. Uh, as uh, those of you who saw uh, the first part, uh, we understand that uh, most scholars uh pre-trib and post-trib, mid-trib, pre uh have identified the hour of trial as being the uh the events that happened in Revelation from chapter 6 through 19 uh, basically or uh, the other way to look at it is is that it it, it encompasses Daniel's 70th week that's the seven year period. Uh, that Daniel uh, talks about in the ninth chapter uh, from verses 24 through 27 uh, in the ninth chapter of Daniel. And so uh, Jesus alluded to, uh, well, Jesus referenced uh, Daniel's 70th week uh, uh, when he uh, spoke in Matthew uh, chapter 24, uh, verse number 15, when he referenced the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist walks into the uh, holy place uh, and declares himself to be God. Paul then picks the this, this same thing up in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, uh, verses uh, uh, 3 and 4. Uh, he talks about the Antichrist, uh, the man of sin, this, uh, the son of perdition, or the uh, man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. It depends on which version you read uh, that will uh, call sit in the temple of God and call himself, declare himself to be God. And so uh, this is the abomination of desolation. Uh, Antichrist is the epitome of fulfillment of the first abomination of desolation that was done by the Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes, the fourth from the Seleucid line of the uh, of the uh, after the Alexander empires uh, after Alexander the Great. Uh, died. His kingdom was split up amongst his four generals, But uh, Ptolemy to the south, Seleucid to the north. Out of the Seleucid line came the king, eventual king uh, the fourth, Antiochus Epiphanes uh, the fourth, who uh, after having uh, a failed campaign down in Egypt, was uh, upset when he came back to Syria uh, uh, and, and then he attacked, made a run on Jerusalem and he attacked them, he destroyed, he uh, desecrated the temple, he committed a lot of abominations, he refused to let the Jews read the Torah, or anything like that, women to get, uh, he refused children, uh, women to circumcise their babies, or for them to practice any form of religious, uh, a Jewish religion, uh, then he uh, basically erected a statue of Zeus, uh, in the most holy place and slayed a pig on the altar, completely desecrating uh, the Jewish uh, temple. Uh, this led to a, a, a revolt uh, called the Maccabean Revolt. You can pick that up in 1 uh, Maccabees uh, in the Apocrypha, uh, where Judas Maccabeus, uh, also known as the Hammer. Uh, then led a rebellion and a revolt, and they kicked out the Syrians. They actually, God gave them a victory, and uh, they went in and they uh, re—they uh, cleaned out the temple and they rededicated the temple. This rededication of the temple is where we get the Jewish holiday Hanukkah from. And during that whole uh, festival, or where, where the menorah—they uh, but well, they needed uh, oil for the menorah and uh, they ran out of it, and God miraculously kept it. The lip for the eight-day celebration. And from that day on, they determined to always celebrate Hanukkah. So this is about 140 years before Jesus was even born. So by the time the Lord was born, Hanukkah was already in a well into established practice amongst the Jews, and to still to this day it is. So the so actually the practice of Hanukkah actually has a foreshadowing is connected to a foreshadowing of what the Antichrist is going to come and do and uh, which is going to uh, happen during Daniel 70 weekend so this is why all of this stuff kind of like fits together in the name of Jesus so what we're going to be talking about tonight uh, uh, is uh the hour of trial because one of the scriptures that pre-trib uses to teach a pre-trib rapture is um uh revelation 310 so what we're going to do uh let's have a brief word of prayer and then we're going to get into our lesson Father, we do thank and praise you for all things. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for those that are tuned in on tonight, Lord God, no matter where they may be. uh, We just thank you, Lord God, for your amazing grace. We just ask, Lord God, to illuminate their minds to the scriptures, to what thus saith the Lord in the scriptures, that they may be informed. Lord God, a lot of this may be heavy. It may be uh, overwhelming to people, Lord God, but at least they will have heard it, Lord God, because we want to make sure that people know the truth or at least have and uh, uh know how another way that things could possibly turn out and so with knowledge comes wisdom lord god and so we just ask lord god in the name of jesus i know for many christians in the united states believe the pre rapture doctrine lord god uh we believe that doctrine is incorrect and that it's not going to help people be prepared for what things actually come. But Lord God, we're not we're we, we're not falling out with our uh, our Christian brothers and sisters that have embraced that uh, doctrine. Lord God, we're just saying that people need to know what the other side of the coin says as well. So, a well informed Christian church, Lord God, is the best thing. And so, Father, we just thank you. We just praise you in the mighty and the Majesty name of Jesus. Now, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. You know, I just wanted to uh, also take this opportunity to welcome uh, uh, the I Radio family that I uh, just connected with, and also uh, all of those, and Amazon. Uh, uh podcast that I uh, also are connected with because I'm on a number of uh my my uh, uh podcast is distributed fairly widely and and we just uh opened up those two channels uh just the other day so we just thank God for all of you in the name of Jesus blessed be the name of the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever so let's share my screen and let's get right into our lesson uh glory to God so we can just do what we do. In the name of Jesus. Okay, so I am sharing. Oh, glory to God. So we're just going to highlight the passage that we're dealing with tonight. Uh, And we're actually just one verse. And then we're going to continue our conversation that we left off on uh, in our last episode. It says, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing. This is our phrase. That arrow which is about to come on the whole world to test them who are, who dwell on the earth. Okay. Uh, let's, let's chop it up. Let's, let's go, uh, let's do this verse also in the NIV. It says, because you have kept coming kept because you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Okay. Also the King James, it says, because you have kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all them uh, that, to try them that dwell on the earth. Okay, so that's, that's. Uh, but let's pull in, let's do a Christian Standard Bible, a CSB, and let's also do an English Standard Version. And let's try uh, the new... The new English translation as well. Okay, now, all right, so let's start with the CSB. Okay, uh, basically says, because you have kept my command to endure, because you have kept my command to do, I will keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test them that dwell on the earth. See what that reference is. Okay. All right, and then uh, also the English Standard Version, and to the, it says, "Because you have kept my my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to tr- to that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth." Okay, and in the English uh, New English Translation, uh, uh, "Because you have kept my admonition to endure steadfastly." I would keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those that dwell on the earth. And finally, let's do the KJV. Okay. Uh, Because you have kept my word, my word of patience, my word of the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation uh, that is going to come on the whole world. So basically, all the the translations agree uh, here. Now, as we stated before, from the pre trial perspective, and I think basically most people, most people um accept that the hour of trial, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation in the King James, let's go back to the NASB, okay, that's all, uh, and it translates from the hour of testing, okay, most people, whether pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-rath, and other folks, uh, they all basically say this is the tribulation. And the reason why they're saying it, it's, it's not, it's not a bad reason why they're saying it. Uh, basically, they say that the hour of testing that's coming on to try to try the whole world starts with this chapter six of Revelation. This is where we see the fourth horseman the, of the apocalypse. The most believe that the rider on the white horse um, is the is the Antichrist coming in his peace persona, you know, and uh, they believe that's him. And then you have the second seal that is broken. Uh, uh, that's the red horse. And he was granted to take peace, to take peace from the earth. <laughs> <Shoot>. <laughs> that horse could be riding already. because <laughs> it's, it's crazy out here in these streets. But uh, I'm not saying that it is. I'm just being facetious. Okay. Uh, and when he broke the third seal, the third living creature came and said, behold, a black horse. And on it had a pair of scales in his hand that represents famine and scarcity of food. <laughs> Excuse me. And then the fifth seal, the fourth seal, rather, uh, this is, uh, he looked and he said, he saw an ashen or pale horse, a a greenish pale horse, uh, and he who sat on him, his name was Death, and and Hades or Hell followed him, okay? So these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. (laughs) Excuse me. And so bottom line is, is this, ladies and gentlemen, From Revelation chapter six, all the way through the 19th chapter, you have various forms of judgments. You have the seals, which we just read for, uh, just saw four of them. Then you have the trumpets. Then you have the bowls. Okay. Uh, Those and all of this stuff is happening during a time called Daniel's 70th week. It's a seven year period. OK, in order to go to understand that Daniel seventy week, you have to go to Daniel chapter number nine, read the ninth chapter. And uh, like I say, verses uh, twenty four through twenty seven give you the, the rundown on that, particularly uh, verse number twenty seven. It uh, talks about the details uh, uh, detailed in the uh, during Daniel seventy week this 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 seven year period. Uh, it is 70 prophetic weeks, 69 of them have already been fulfilled with the uh, cutting off of the Messiah, uh, which is Jesus and the city being destroyed and uh, overtaken in 70 AD. So uh, and the 69th week ended with those events. Okay, uh, uh, but basically we've been on hold for this last seven years, uh, the 70th week, uh, we've been on hold for that for the last 2000 years. So in uh, and, and the, and, and the meantime, what God has been doing is he created the new uh, uh, body called the body of Christ that consisted of both Jew and Gentile coming together, uh, glory to God, to form one body. Uh, he poured the Holy Spirit out, not only on Pentecost on the Jews, but also on Cornelius in Acts chapter number 10. And then in a, in a succession of other uh, involvements with the Gentiles, uh, he converted the uh, apostle Paul who was uh, a, a vehement hater of Christianity. Uh, he tried to stamp it out uh, with approval of the Sanhedrin, and uh, Lord met him in Acts chapter 9, changed him, and all that. Paul began uh, after being rejected by uh, hostile Jews. There were hostile Jews. There were Jews that were very favorable to Christianity that converted over to Christians, okay? Christianity. There were other Jews that that were very hostile to it and said, No, this is a false religion, and uh we should be Honoring the law and Moses and all of them and blah 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 blah. And so this is this is this is uh, uh, and those Jews were part of the Jews that were persecuting Christians. And Paul was one of those Jews. He was actually rounding people up to bring them back in front before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin could actually actually order them to be beaten, imprisoned, or or uh, uh, face capital punishment because the Sanhedrin was the Jewish supreme court. So they could they could they could order that. And so Paul had uh, letters to go out and do it. And then the Lord called him and said, hey, look, Paul, Paul, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because if you're doing it to them, you're doing it to me. Jesus said, I'm taking this personal. He said, I got some work for you to do. You're going to be my apostle. And uh Paul ended up writing, of course, uh, most of the New Testament uh is had bears his name. So, so, so we 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 can understand uh uh that in between this uh 69th and the fulfillment of the 70th week, the church fulfills uh is 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 in this period where God is doing a new thing now. Many people say the church isn't in the Old Testament. That's not true, ladies and gentlemen. The church was referred to quite a bit in the Old Testament. The rapture of the church was actually, uh, actually talked about uh in the Old Testament. The beginning of the church was talked about in the Old Testament and many and many other things about Christ's ministry, Isaiah 53, uh uh the beginning of the cho- church, uh Joel, uh chapter number two. That's why Peter quoted it. Joel didn't Joel didn't know about the church. See, the thing is, is God can give of humans prophecy but not tell them everything he just say joel you write this down you say this you do that and and he don't tell joel everything joel didn't know nothing about the church the glory to god paul said in uh first corinthians uh chapter 15 he said when the rapture happens then it'll be fulfilled oh death where's that victory oh great where's that uh death where's that sting oh great where's that victory and all of that he's quoting H- hosea and isaiah isaiah actually had a foretaste and whole. hosea prophesied about the rapture of the church the resurrection glory to God and that's why Paul said when the rap when this happens glory to God then it be, will be fulfilled what was written by the prophets so they so the prophets actually did write about it they just didn't know it it was it was not disclosed to them. But they wrote about it. God always leaves himself a witness in the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. And so even we get the sufferings of Christ, we get Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was wounded for, he was bruised for our transgressions, you know, and the chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. He was talking about the body of Christ, but not only just the body of Christ, all the redeemed, because everybody that is redeemed, ladies and gentlemen, is because of the blood of the Lamb. If, if, if no matter if you're Old Testament or New Testament, we're all saved by the same Messiah. It's just that it was a point that they were waiting for him to come. And we're, on, we're in the post-resurrection of Jesus Christ and His ju- and raised for our justification, according to uh, Paul and Romans. Uh, 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 but we're on the other side of the cross. So you had some people that were before the cross and those that are on the other side of the cross. Both of them needed Jesus Christ His shed blood. And so this is why when Jesus rose from the dead, there were actually saints that rose, according to uh, Matthew chapter 27, there were saints that rose after his resurrection, ladies and gentlemen. They came out of the graves, glorified bodies, showed themselves in the holy city, Lord God, uh, you know, and it was just an amazing type of thing that these saints were waiting, they were waiting a long time, you know, when Christ finally came and consecrated that way into heaven. And so now, what's happening is uh, now we're in this parentheses, as they call it, of the church age. The church age is began on the uh, uh, began in Acts, uh, Acts uh, uh, chapter number two, where, where Peter did his great sermon, and then it's going to go all the way to the rapture of the church. Okay, now when it comes to the rapture, there are prevailing views uh, that are that are uh, primarily part of the premillennial camp. Premillennial simply just means that the raptures of these resurrections happen prior to the millennium starting. That's all. okay? because the millennium starts after Christ comes back. Uh, So a pre-trib believes uh, is a millennial position. Uh, Mid-trib is a pre-millennial position. Pre-Rab, which I teach, it's a pre-millennial position. And post-Trib, these are all pre-millennial positions. And we all agree on that part. It's just that where in the relationships to that seven-year period does the rapture happen? That's where we are all different. Pre-Trib says the rapture happens before the Daniel 70 week gets here. And before any of the uh, 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 these topics addressed in the book of the Revelation happen, uh, they cl- they claim that after chapter three, the word church uh, isn't used anymore. Then that's evidence that the church uh, is no longer on earth, which is a completely ridiculous argument because you have seven other epistles where the word church isn't found. <laughs> you, you, go back to some of my other, uh, I, I, if anybody that's new, just start with the beginning. I think I got like 90, 90 episodes going all the way back to 2018. Listen, you will learn a lot if you just go through them and uh, just make it your business to go through. It's gonna take you a long time to do. I mean, that's years of recording that that I did, right? And so you can just go back to those. But the bottom line is, that is just a really silly argument. And a lot of what Pre-Trib says, I was listening to a minister today talking about the restrainer of 2 Thessalonians, chapter number two. And he was basically saying, you know, there's a big controversy of who the restrainer is, but we believe it's the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit in the church. They don't have any scriptures to prove that. That's just what they believe. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, just, this is this is like a like a quick primer <laughs> on it, on the historical perspective of pre-trip. What happened is in the in the 1800s. Okay, you had a guy by the name of John Nelson Darby over in uh, uh, over in uh, Europe, over in England, Dublin Ireland, that that area. Uh, he. Uh, he and, and another uh group of brethren called the, the plymouth brethren okay they 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 studied uh eschatology and prophecy and all of that and uh, that's what basically where the dispensational uh theological eschatological scheme when it's not dispensationalism is not just eschatological it goes all the way back to genesis it talks about the covenants and the uh the covenants and the different dispensations. Well, that whole theological construct was basically uh, uh, created by a guy by the name of John Nelson Darby. John Nelson Darby uh, in the about the mid 1800s to so 1830 1840 50 around in that area started making trips to the United States uh, uh, and bringing this new way of thinking of eschatology to this shore of the United States he was embraced by a lot of popular people people like Dwight L Moody and all of them they all co-signed what he was teaching they all went all went for it now right when he was coming over here America was at the height of uh, uh the the abolitionist movement, the, the 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 destruction of the whole chattel slavery thing, uh 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 Reconstruction and the Emancipation of Proclamation. Most of your southern, most of your southern white Christians, these were Christians, evangelical Christians, Protestant Christians, Catholic trenches, fought vehemently, most of them, to keep that way of life. Glory to God. And uh now there was there were a few that stood up. Uh, and 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 uh, uh, came against that, but a lot of those ended up getting, uh, uh, ended up dying, and they ended up killing them because they wanted to keep maintain that whole chattel slavery thing. They had, they even came up with a slavery Bible, you know, that took out everything about talking about the spirit of the Lord and said uh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Anything about liberty and setting captives free, all those scriptures got taken out. So it wasn't the Bible wasn't a stick. <laughs> I think they took all the Exodus out about because you know that's the God re- that God uh, uh delivering uh, uh the Hebrews who were slaves in Egypt. So none of those narratives they wanted to keep in the slave bible. You just wanted to be good old Negroes and just do what white folks say and and, and preach a a a, a, a gospel of uh, pa- uh uh passivity you know and so you, you guys can stay in your place uh glory to god but however so this is when non-john nelson darby came over he came over here at a time when america was at a real crossroads. so pre-tribulationism it really really took root because it particularly not in the south even though there was a niagara uh a a niagara bible conference where they talked about prophecy in the north and john nelson darby was really 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 popular uh in the united states i mean he got in with the movers and shakers of the time and so this is how all of this happened now there was a person that was influenced uh by john nelson darby that really thought that john nelson darby had something going his name was c.i schofield c.i schofield a uh was a Part of the uh, 6th Regiment of Tennessee, he was one of the good old boys, he was part of that whole Southern Confederate thing, and uh, 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 he was a lawyer, he's he's like a lot of us, we all had shaky paths before we got converted, but anyway, uh, the Lord got a hold of him, Schofield uh, started doing things in the ministry and things like that. And he was a great teacher because he had, he had a law practice and he was a lawyer uh, and all that type of thing. So, you know, he uh he, he you know he had it going on. He was an intelligent person. Uh so uh what he did is he took Darby's ideas, uh, glory to God, and he put them in the Schofield Reference Bible, which was released, I believe, in 1907 and re 1907, 1909, one of those, re-released later, a few years later, they revised it and all of that. And, and dispensationalism went around the world really through the Schofield Reference Bible that was uh, uh, released by Oxford Press. So with the prestige of Oxford Press and, and, and Schofield's connections and all of that, he took Darby's work, uh, John Nelson Darby's work, and took it to a whole nother level through that Bible. Uh, and the Scopio Reference Bible is one of the very popular Bibles in the United States. Still is, I still have one. Uh, it's 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 a uh, 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 has excellent references and things like that. Some of the commentary, uh, uh, of course. Uh, uh, promote the pre-trib dispensational ideology and so basically that's how it went around uh, around the country to the average person now then you had uh, C.I. Schofield what happened was there was a person that worked for uh, Dwight L. Moody that was part of uh, Dwight L. Moody's uh, evangelistic campaigns a guy by the name of Louis Barry, Louis Barry Shaper who was a baritone soloist I believe, I think he was a baritone, baritone soloist. And he, he uh, um, was with moody. However, uh, uh, he met C.I. Schofield and basically C.I. Schofield took him under his wing and uh, mentored him uh, because he really came uh, uh, enamored with uh, 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 Schofield's ability to teach and all the things that he taught about prophecy and all of that. And so basically, ladies and gentlemen, what happened is uh, he worked for Schofield. Uh, at his uh, correspondence school that uh, uh, Schofield had, which some say uh, 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 Moody Bible, uh, Dwight L. Moody ended up buying that. And it may have been the uh, precursor to the Moody Bible Institute, but that's the, you know, we don't have to uh, hash fall out over that detail. Some, some may agree with that, some may not. But the bottom line is, is uh, Lewis Berry Schaefer became powerful in his own right. And he just developed a school in 1924, uh, uh, called it the, the I, I think the other day I said the Evangelicals, the, the Evangelical Divinity School, which is uh, 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 I, I didn't mean to throw Trinity in there, <laughs> but I forget the name of the school. It was like Evangelical the Theological Institute or something like that, in 1924. And so what happens is by the night by the time 1936 rolled around, they changed the name and renamed it Dallas Theological Seminary and so uh uh see uh lewis Perry schaefer then uh uh had some some disciples one of those disciples was john walvoord another one was uh dwight pentecost another one was mr ryrie and some others and so dallas theological seminary became one of the top schools in the world to promote dispensational uh uh theology eschatology And so uh, they went to only school. There's many, many schools. A lot of the Baptist schools and all that. This is what they all teach. This is what they teach. And so I just wanted to give you like a little primer of how all this came to the United States and how it became so traditionally enmeshed in our Christianity. And so when you tell people there's problems with the pre-tree rapture, then what happens is, is you're striking at a nerve that's planted really, really, really deep in their psyche. And so you're like a heretic if you say that, you know, uh, don't you dare talk about the pre-tree of rapture. Well, the pre-tree of rapture goes all the way back to the 1800s, and a lot of the people that embrace it were slaveholders. And, the, and so these, these people, you know, it, it goes all the way back to a way of life, a lifestyle to God, a, a, a an ideology, a a way of identifying their Christianity, and so this is why these things are so deeply, deeply held, and people will vehemently fight you. There, there are there are organizations like Calvary Chapel and a lot of these Baptist organizations. If you teach anything other than pre they will disfellowship you. You will be kicked out of that church. There's been many a person who say, "Wait a minute, I don't believe it, preacher." They tell you, "You got listen. Either you shut up or get out of this church. You are not gonna stay here." And so people will people get that incense. Now it's the same thing with a lot of African American churches. There are a lot of denominations: Church of God in Christ, Baptist, Evangelical. Everybody holds to a pre of rapture because that is the doctrine that has been taught here since the 1800s, and it's going on 190 something years now. That this thing has been that, that has uh, been nestled and, and deeply rooted in the American Christian Christi- in American Christianity, and so so when you come against that, you're coming against a lot of tradition, and so some of the tenets of uh, pre-tribulationism, uh, like 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 or uh, the uh, all of the other tenets they do. And I, I'm going to be dealing with a lot of this in my commentary. And so uh, that's why I, I, I'm already, like I said, I'm already finished with it. Let me make an announcement again. I, am, I have just completed the verse-by-verse verse uh, part of my uh, Revelation commentary. Uh, it's going to be coming out hopefully by the end of this year, early next year. uh uh, and i've got a lot of great essays a lot of things where i challenge directly the pre-trib rapture theory ladies and gentlemen it's problematic but let me say this if in fact the pre-trib rapture is right and we're out of here before all the trouble starts no one has a problem with that my appeal to people is learn the other side because what if it's wrong and and i'm not just saying that uh, uh uh, in a theoretical sense, I have proven major tenets of it wrong. And not only that, and if you look behind me, you'll see Revelation Revolution. That's the cover of my book. I actually challenged two of the chop pre-trib, uh, pre-trib scholars in the world at the time, back in 96 and 97, Dr. John Walboard and Dr. Dwight uh, Pentecost. I actually challenged them using their work, arguing against them, and when I was at uh, Trinity, I actually took a revelation course by Dr. D.A. Carson, and uh, I wrote a paper, dismantling aspects using wallboards and Pentecost work. You know what I got on that paper? I got an A-minus by Dr. Carson. He wrote on the top of it, very gifted work, because the theological arguments that I was making were really sound, I glory to God. A lot of what we hear in pre-tribulationism, it's just, it's just talking points. You know, Christ wouldn't beat up his wife, bride, man, come and take her. Uh, you can be here if you want to. I ain't going to be here. You know, it's it's a lot of that. The average person that believes preachers does not know the doctrine at a technical level. They only know that their pastor says they're not going to be here the book of Revelation. The church is not in the book of Revelation, past chapter three, uh, uh, up until, uh, and not mentioned again in chapter 22. You know, it's, you hear all of that. And so my thing is, is what if it's wrong? I can prove it's wrong in many, many areas. And getting back to the basic thing, ladies and gentlemen, why did God put the book of Revelation in the Bible if we didn't need it? It's for the church. It's for the church, ladies and gentlemen. And one of the reasons I can give you for the the reason of the book of the Revelation is in the Bible is because it's talking about a time that Jesus said was never has been since the beginning of man, no shall ever be. It's a time of trouble. Okay, Daniel talks about the same thing. Okay, Joel talks about there's never been a like, nor will it ever be another one like it. And so that makes the time that this that we're going to be going through, or, or, or experiencing, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that makes it a very unique time. It means there's nothing else in history to compare it to. There's there's there's, there's been other calamities in the mention in the Bible, but nothing like what's coming. And so to compensate for that, what God did is he sent John into the future to see it himself, write it down, put it in the Bible so we would have, so and we read it like history, but it's really the future. See, that's the grace of God compensating for a time that has no parallel in history, yet god sent john in the future to give you a play-by-play trumpet by trumpet bowl by bowl seal by seal tell you what the Antichrist is going to do how he's going to do it and all of that that information is there for a reason and the reason is to keep christians informed but the problem is a lot of us refuse to be informed uh, and have been taught we're not going to be here. Uh, unfortunately, uh, ladies and gentlemen, like I say, if pre-trib is right and we're gone, then fine. But what if it's wrong and these people are still here? The Bible also talks about at that point, there's going to be a falling away. There's going to be a defection from the faith. Uh, whether you whether you uh, uh, interpret uh, the word uh, uh, falling away in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 as apostasia or, uh, or apostasy or rebellion, either way, people are going to abandon the faith. Jesus said the Same thing in Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses 9 and 10. He talked about it. He said at that time, they're going to start killing people. And at that time, many are going to abandon the faith. That's uh, uh, how it's translated in the NIV. Others said there will be, uh, people will be dying and many will be offended. Well, the offended means they're going to be offended by being Christian and they're going to take a hike. Glory to God. So it's a great falling away that's going to happen. I believe it's going to be precipitated by a lot of people still being here when they, when they thought they weren't going to be here. They're going to get confused. A lot of them and people are going to end up abandoning the faith. Glory to God in the midst of persecution. And some are even going to take the mark of the beast. Unfortunately, glory to God. Now, the good thing about that is it says all whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life are going to take the mark of the beast. The ones that whose names are written in these are christians they're they're going to stand up glory to god to the antichrist it's really the greatest generation of church saints that have ever lived you see pre-trib came along and painted that whole thing ladies and gentlemen uh uh, painted the whole thing let me just stop my my share here so we can get a full screen uh uh pre pre pre-trib what they did here is they painted the tribulation saints as the left behind Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing further from the truth. These people have not been left behind. These are people who were appointed to stand up to Antichrist, were appointed for that and have so much fortitude and so much love for Jesus that even under those circumstances, they refuse to bow to the Antichrist and they love not their lives unto the death this isn't some manby pamby group of Christians who was in the bar when the rapture happened and they get, they didn't make the rapture cut that is ridiculous there's nothing ever negatively said about the people that go through the tribulation or go co- that come out of let me say that that come out of the great tribulation. in the first time you see them there in heaven standing before God being honored in heaven. Then you see them again with the Antichrist. These are the ones who give their life, who stand up, glory to God. These are the ones in Revelation 14 that the Holy Spirit encourages and said, blessed is the other dead who die in the Lord from now on. These are the same ones who in Revelation 14, the Son of Man is seen on a cloud. He gets his harvest. Ladies and gentlemen, after he gets his harvest, ladies and gentlemen, the, the people who are called the tribulation saints are not seen on earth again because in Revelation chapter 15, then they're seen in heaven, but they're seen in heaven Ladies and gentlemen, they're seen in heaven while the angels that have the bowls of the wrath of God are still in heaven. They haven't left yet to to pour their bowls out. And then in the 16th chapter, that's when they're dispatched. But the the tribulation saints, the so-called tribulation saints, which I call the last generation of church saints. And so Revelation really, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of the last group of uh, of church saints. And it highlights them. Because they come through like no other generation of church saints in history, they come through a period that has never, ever been, and they remain faithful to Christ under the worst circumstances, under the worst antichrist, under the worst direct attack of Satan, where Satan and his angels are thrown down. to the, uh, Listen, these people remain faithful, and God rewards them handsomely. So this is why you see in Revelation chapter 20, when it talks about the first resurrection, it doesn't mention any other Christian in the first resurrection. There will be all the Christians are going to be in the first resurrection, ladies and gentlemen, but it only talks about those who did not get the market beast. Why? Because that final generation of church saints is being highlighted in the book of Revelation. And that's why the book of Revelation is so important for the church because it's about the church. Don't let anybody fool you. Don't let anybody tell you all oh, them. The, that's them other folks and all of that. And they was in the bar and they was fornicating and all of that and the trumpet blew and they got left behind and they go, oh my God, this is true. So now I'm going to get saved and I'm going to let the enterprise cut my head off even though I was shaky before the whole thing happened. That doesn't even make sense. The Bible says no man can call Jesus Christ Lord except by the Holy Ghost. How is it that these people remain so faithful that they're willing to die for? it? See, that's that's the argument that they use historically for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the, the validity of Christianity is because they said, who would die for something that they didn't believe in? Why would Peter die? Why would Paul die? Why would Luke and all these people get dragged and Uh, uh, James and all them Why would all these Christians die In the Circus Maximus If it didn't happen, if it wasn't true so the fact is that you would be willing to die for something for the truth of it doesn't make, make you a left behind person. No, that qualifies you. But one of those souls that were under the altar in, Reve- in the fifth seal, ladies and gentlemen, that was so precious to God, these people were precious to him. They were precious to him because just like his son, they were faithful until the death. Ladies and gentlemen, Romans says, I beseech you, therefore, brother, all my scripture memories in King James, so forgive me. I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God for your for your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. When Paul talked about a living sacrifice, he wasn't just talking about singing in the choir. He was talking about being a sacrifice himself and he was a sacrifice. Glory to God. He says uh, he said, and when he was ready to get, uh, die in Second Timothy, he said, I, I fought a good fight. I I, I, I I ran the race. I fought a good fight, and all of that. He says now it was laid up for me as a crown of right, a crown of life, a crown of righteousness is laid up for me in heaven. Paul said, "I'm already poured out like a drink offering." He didn't even see it as death. He said, "I want to know Christ and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable to His death, that I may obtain." The resurrection, ladies and gentlemen, Revelation is a book that is so inspired to inspire Christians. It's not a book to tell you, "See there, y'all gonna be gone." That's them other folks. No, it's not. It's you and I. If it happens tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, maybe maybe not. Maybe it might not happen in our lifetime. We don't know. Twenty generations, twenty centuries have come and gone since that. Because the Lord uh, uh, was, was taken up into heaven, ladies and gentlemen. So, I guess I, I you know, I, I, did I just get finished preaching? <laughs> Y'all gotta, you know, I get caught up, right? I get harpazoed <laughs> in the name of Jesus. Okay, let's get back into our lesson and let's um, let's do what we do here. Okay, now, so where we left off yesterday. Uh, and we were in Revelation 3.10. We'll just go back to it. And I'm in the NASB. So the Philadelphia church had been few, through a few things, and this is what I want to I, I want to highlight this. Okay, now, he says, I know your deeds. Now, he's talking to the Philadelphia church, just like he was talking about the church of Sardis, Pergamo, Thyatira, all of these churches were actual local congregations, and he had a word for each one of them. What's well, hard to understand about that? It's not hard to understand, right? He's writing a letter. He's even telling you to which church and everything. Okay, he says, I know your deeds. He says, Behold, I have put I have put before you an open door, which no man can shut, because you have little power, and listen to this, have kept my word. Well, look at that. Look at that. He's, he's, he's saying something here because there was persecution going on in the church of Philadelphia. Not and, and Christians, let me clarify that. In the city of Philadelphia was full of pagan idolatry. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's just that it was a group of Christians there. That it was a church there. So they're living amongst all of this wild stuff, including Jews that were hostile and pagans. So in the midst of all of that, Jesus said, you have kept my word. He said, even though you just have a little power, you not you not you not like that, that that Corinthian church where they had all them gifts going on tongues prophecy miracle they had them all going on. Paul said y'all got so much gifts y'all crazy. I gotta I gotta I gotta get you you guys in order because you y'all getting beside yourself. But but Philadelphia was a smaller church. They had little power. He said and you have kept my word. You have not denied my name. See now now this is important, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know the revelation ends with talking about the cowards? The cowards, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, look, I got to show you this. The cowards are a big, big thing with Christ. People that who turn coward. And I, I want to I read this to you because it's important. Glory to God. Glory, glory to God, he said. Those of you who are listening to me on the podcast, I, I'm sorry for the gaps in here. Um, I'm sorry for the gaps in the sound because I am have a video presentation of this, so. Lord God. So blessed are those who wash their robes and have made them and have a right to the tree of life, to enter the gates of the city. For outside are dogs and sorcerers and immoral persons and murderers and idols, idolaters, and everyone who loves practicing a lie. Yeah, let me do this real quick. Let me search for it, okay. Fearful in King, King James. Just give me one second here. We'll we'll pull this up. And we'll get the scripture. Oh, oh, there it is. Revelation 21. Okay, now look at this, ladies and gentlemen. See here in King James, it says the fearful. That's really not a good translation. We have a better word for that today. That's what it's called. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the immoral persons, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, I want you to look at this term, second death. You're going to see it again. It's important. See that second death? Look at that again. But right now it says, but for the cowardly, you know something, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus don't like cowards. Cowards are those people who is all right to be a Christian when there's no persecution. But if your life is on the line and you deny his name, Jesus considers that Person, a coward. He says, cowards is getting thrown in the lake of fire. Now, y'all need to hear this. This is this is me now. Glory to God. Cowards, he don't like them. And this is why with the Philadelphia church, he said, You have not denied my name. He said, You deny me, I'll deny you. Jesus said, I've been to the cross. I went to the cross. I lost, look, I was 33 years old and they nailed me to a cross and I took it. And then he tells his believers and I think we did, we went over this last week. Glory to God. Matthew chapter 16. Look at what he says here. He ain't for all that cowardly stuff. This is what he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, anyone who wanna follow, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, if it means give your life, give it. He said, you better not go back on me. Turn coward like a person in war who gets scared and run. People like that deserve to get shot in the back as, as they're running, glory to God. In the military, you could, get, you, you could be you actually, in wartime you can get court-martialed you can get sent to jail or or get faced uh, 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 execution and under certain circumstances cowardice is a serious thing ladies and gentlemen but listen to this, it says for whoever wishes to save his life let me break this down for you whoever wishes to save his life what is he talking about Teach, ladies and gentlemen, that the saints that are in Revelation 13, that is the church. That's not some other group of people. That's us. That's the church. Glory to God. All right? Those people under that circumstances, when Antichrist comes, you won't be able to buy a sin. You're not going to be able to do it. Unless you take his mark. Or get the number of his name. And the only way you're going to do that, ladies and gentlemen, is by worshiping him as God. That's why Paul said he sitting in the temple calling himself God. Revelation 13 tells us that the false prophet says y'all got to worship him as God. And they make an image to him and make people bow to that image in order to participate in the global economy of the Antichrist. And you have to understand, when the mark of the beast comes, ladies and gentlemen, it is not going to look wicked. It is going to be the thing that everybody is doing in the world. It's going to be how you trade it. Look, what do you think all this cryptocurrency and all that stuff? That's a form of electronic money, ladies and gentlemen. It, the whole thing is going to be, end up changing. We're going to get off of dollars. And I don't even I don't carry cash with me anymore. Very rarely. Now. Everything's electronic. Who, who actually sees dollars? I know a lot of people still do, but I don't. Glory to God. So now when this thing goes down, ladies and gentlemen, there will be people who say, well, look, I got bills to pay. I, 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 I got kids in college. Jesus, you just gonna have to understand because, look, they talking about cutting people's head off and I, I, I didn't sign up for that. So I'm not going to give my life. I'm gonna preserve my life now. I don't care what the pastor said, I don't care what the Bible said. We don't know if that Bible's right anyway. Besides, y'all was talking about the uh, a rapture was gonna happen. You're gonna have mockers coming because there's gonna be so Many Christians are going to say, Oh, Jesus was supposed to come and he's coming before the Antichrist comes. And when that's and when people are still here, the mockers are gonna come and say, Yeah, uh-huh, well, the promise of his coming. And a lot of people are not gonna be able to deal with that because they do not have enough word in them because they're not being taught the word of God in their churches. I mean, I'm not saying nobody does. I'm just saying they're not being taught this word. Okay, they're not being taught about end time prophecy and things like that. Most churches, especially in the African American community, we are terrible on that. We don't tell people about revelation. We don't teach about end time prophecy. We too busy doing other stuff. Glory to God. So when this thing happens and people say, look, I'm not willing to go to jail now. I'm not willing to Get my head cut off for my faith because I don't believe Jesus is calling me to do that and I don't care what the pastor say or what them Bibles you guys say. I'm look, I got kids to feed, bills to pay, mortgage to pay, I got two kids in college. Listen, I gotta be able to maintain all of that. And Christ don't look so bad. All he's trying to do is 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 get people uh, uh economic freedom. You know, they're gonna actually They're actually going to sing antichrist's praises, just like you have a group of people now saying that what Hitler wasn't all that bad. You got a whole movement now. Hitler was one of the (laughs) antichrists. You got a whole of young people. I've talked to them. Actually, now saying Hitler wasn't that bad. See, it's going to be the same thing, ladies and gentlemen, when the antichrist comes. Just imagine all the people thought they were not going to be here; they're still here having to deal with that. And so this is why Jesus said, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. How are people going to wish to save their lives? They're going to wish to save their lives by compromising and turning coward when they hear that following Jesus could cost them their life, they're going to say, uh-uh, not me. Not me. And this is what Jesus is saying right here. I want you to listen to this now. For whosoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Then he says this. He says, what profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to listen to this. Jesus is so on the mark right here because he's saying, what profit you? If you go ahead and take the mark of the beast and you're able to buy a sale, you just sold your soul to the devil. What you just forfeited your soul by doing that. This is why with John MacArthur and all the people who follow this idiocy, that but that, the, that the, you can get the mark of the beast and still be redeemed. This is why this is so deadly. On top of being told you weren't gonna be here. I'm gonna find out that you are still here. One of the things about pre-trib, it has it has an Achilles heel that'll be undeniable. When Daniel 70 weeks starts and and the church is still here, everybody gonna know it's wrong at that point. So it it it'll be it it'll actually self destruct. It will be like the uh uh that that like the tape machine and the old Mission Impossible that used to come on in the 60s. As soon as they give you the message, the tape machine catch on fire and burn up. You know, at that point. Ladies and gentlemen, they're going to they gonna know. Everybody's going to know what's wrong. And, and a lot of people are going to self-destruct. And how they're going to self-destruct, they're going to end up compromising because they're not going to be able to deal with the pressure. This is why the book of Revelation is in the Bible, to prepare people for that, so the people to get it in their mind that this is what the first century Christians went through, first century, second century, third century, straight up until Constantine, until he did, uh, decided to uh, uh, make uh, uh, Christianity the, the religion of the Roman government. Glory to God. And so, so, so the, the persecution by the emperor slowed down. But then the Roman Catholic Church started persecuting people who ever didn't believe in God like they say believe in. So the Catholic Church is just as bloody. <laughs> listen, that's another story altogether. Glory to God. Well, what profit am man if he gained the whole world and forfeits his soul? I want you to listen to that. What good is it going to do you? All right. If, listen. By the time the Antichrist get here, it's only three and a half years left. Oh, Jesus comes back, right. you might to hold on. Come to so my wife was telling me, she said, he said, Tell the people, say, Look, you might as well hold on at that point because he only got years. Antichrist only has 42 months. What will profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses soul? Or what? Will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels. See, this is eschatology, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to this. For the son of man is going to come. That's his second coming, ladies and gentlemen. In the glory of his father with his angels. That's Revelation 19, Zechariah 14. That's when he comes back, okay? He said, and then they will and, and will then repay Every man, according to his deeds. Jesus said, when I come back, I'm going to straighten everything. It's all getting straightened out. What profit am I? He said, if you want to follow me, you better be ready to take up your cross. Whoever wishes to save his life is going to lose it. That's what the cowards are going to do, ladies and gentlemen. That's what the cowards are going to do. They're gonna cower down and say, Look, this, I, I I can't deal with this. I ain't about to die now. You know, if Jesus, if Jesus is calling me to, to get get my put my head on the chopping block, I I look, I, I'm I'm gonna turn to another religion, or I ain't believing in God, I'm just gonna reject the whole thing. I gotta eat. And Paul talks about people that their God is their belly. Uh-huh, that's how a lot of people are. Their God is their belly. They 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 they, they are strictly they're sensual. They're Strictly driven by the census. And a lot of these folks are sitting up in churches right now. One way, one way, terrible thing to end up in hell, but through the doors of the church. That was terrible. Okay. So let me get back to what I'm supposed to be talking about. You know, actually, you know, the Lord just get on me sometime and I, I just end up in other places because there's something that has to be heard because you have kept the word of my perseverance. They were being persecuted. I will also keep you from the hour of testing, which is about to come on the whole world. Right. Let's look at, let's look at again. Uh, let's pull in a commentary. Let's go to, let's go to John MacArthur. John MacArthur hits right on this. And okay. And, and those of you who want to say, why are you always talking about John MacArthur? Didn't he just say that this the guy that did about the, Mark of the Beast and all that. It, I, I, he is. I got a big bone to pick with him, but the reason why I pick his commentary, because it's one of the most, probably, probably one of the most popular commentaries in America amongst evangelical Christians. Got, everybody loves John MacArthur. He's like, he like next to God, right? Okay. He's thinking that. <laughs> Glory to God. He like, John MacArthur said it. You know, that's people that are People that would call you, say you're not a Christian, unless you believe it. everything he said, okay? This is what John MacArthur says about the hour of testing. The hour of testing is Daniel's 70th week, okay? Now, we don't have time to go over the Daniel's 70th week right now, but just look, at, that's what he said, okay? And it's also the time of Jacob's trouble. Then he defines it here, the seven year tribulation period. The Lord promises to keep his church out of the future time of testing that will come on unbelievers. Okay, so this is basically what uh, a preacher believes. And we can look at another commentary. Again, like I did the other day, I was showing you all of these things. But with Dr. Walvoord, Dr. Walvoord is the person I wrote, Dallas Theological Seminary, okay? He says, I will keep you from the hour trial that is coming with the testos on earth. This is an an explicit promise that the Philadelphian church will not endure the hour trial which is unfolding. Now, this is, this is real crazy that he said this. Ladies and gentlemen, the Philadelphian church was here during the first century. All those saints that were part of the Philadelphia Church—the church, the church isn't even there anymore. All the Now, there are churches that are called Philadelphia Baptist, Philadelphia Church of God in Christ. I mean, that ain't, the, that ain't these people. The Philadelphian church was during the first century. They've been off the scene for 2,000 years. I mean, come on. God was not promising them, glory to God, that he would keep them from Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week is the last final years of earth's history. And well, the last final years of this age, of this of this uh, system controlled by Satan, the God of this present age, the God of this present world, that Jesus called him the prince of this world. Glory to God. Jesus, when Jesus had his encounter with him in Luke chapter 4, Satan said, if you bow to me, he said, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I give them to you. He said, it has been given over to me and I can give it to whoever I want. Satan, obviously, Jesus told him to get behind me, Satan, and all that. I I ain't trying to hear that. You know, uh, My my father owns the world anyway. So the world, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, but the world system is controlled by the devil. And so now, Uh, Jesus obviously turned that down, but who the devil ends up giving that to is the Antichrist, Revelation 13. He gets all his power and authority from the dragon, that's Satan. That's who, excuse me, that's who he gets it from. And so during that time, Christ knew darn well that the Philadelphia church was not going to be here during Daniel 78 because we're in the first century. So he wasn't talking to them about Daniel's 70th week. I want people to understand that. Cree Trib is the one who said the hour of trial was the tribulation. The Bible doesn't say that. That's that, that's, That's how the dispensationalists put it together. That's how they packaged it. And so now most of the argument about the hour of trial, ladies and gentlemen, boils down to whether the phrase I will keep you from tero ek glory to God uh terio ek glory to god uh, uh whether that means taken out of or or kept through uh post-dispensation say it means kept through Grundy and all those that camp all the pre say it means keep out of so they they focus the argument there but the argument shouldn't have been there the argument should have been wait a minute How do we know the hour of trial is the 70th week of Daniel? The first clue that is not is if that's the case, why would Jesus promise to keep them from that time when they were in the first century? And Jesus knew that it would be 21 centuries at least before he came back. I wasn't talking about the hour of trial being 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 uh the uh from chapter six through the 19 now this is what Walvor says he says uh this is an explicit promise that the philadelphia church will will, will not endure the uh the uh, the hour of trial which is unfolding well that's true they wouldn't be enduring it because they weren't they're not even going to be here beginning in revelation chapter six now wait a minute dr Walvor, that's crazy So you're actually saying that Jesus is priming the Philadelphian church, glory to God, that they're not going to be in a time of trouble that's not going to be for 2,000 years at least from the time the last one of them is put in the ground. That's not what he's talking about. So I've said that enough. And Dr. Woods, what is the hour of trial? We have to get into this. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in my last segment, we talked about the wrath of God. And what we learned about the wrath of God is the wrath of God is not just the tribulation. The wrath of God is also eternal damnation, In hell. As a matter of fact, eternal damnation in hell is the most severe form of the wrath of God that any human being could experience. The tribulation is only seven years. Seven years does not compare with forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's no comparison. The tribulation is the worst time in earth's history so far as humans are concerned. Yes, but God takes these. When you, when you talk about the, the lake of fire and all of that, ladies and gentlemen, that's at God's level, at an eternal realm. Tribulation is the worst human on earth. Those who dwell on the earth have ever experienced. It's not the worst thing. It's not the worst judgment. The trumpets, the bowls. The seals are not the worst judgments in Revelation. Ladies and gentlemen, let me share share with you. I want you to, this is why my program is called Revelation Revolution. We need to look at the book completely different because tradition has so shaped how we think about these things that we have ignored. ignored it. Look at God. What's the point what to here. here? Another angel, a third one followed saying with a loud voice. Listen to this. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on their forehead or on their head, he also will drink the wine of the wrath of God which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. Okay, now, I want you to notice something there. You see that semicolon right there? We're about to switch thoughts here in the second part of that sentence. Now, this is what's going to happen. If you get the mark of the beast, you will drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. Okay, now what is that talking about? Let me come down here a little further. Okay, now, so the angel swung his sirk, uh, uh, sickle over the earth and gathered the clusters of vine from the earth and threw them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. Now, see that word wine press is figurative language. These people are also called uh, the clusters, and in, in some translations, oh yeah, here they are because her grapes are ripe. Now he's talking about the wicked people that are gonna be thrown into the wrath of God. Okay, it's called the great wine press of the wrath of God, right? So this is why the language is similar up here, okay? He says, now, he will also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. Because the, the the analogy here, this is a mixture of wine, strong wine that has that contains God's wrath. Okay, now, so the people that get the mark of the beast, they're going to get the wine of the wrath of God, and they're going to be in the part of the wine press. So let's look at this. Let's, in Revelation chapter 16, we get the bold judgments, and this is the wrath of the God. That that uh uh that I teach that we're not appointed to, and there's a reason why I say that. we'll 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 get to it. This is what all of this is going to be in my commentary. So my commentary is going to have all of this, ladies and gentlemen. You, this this commentary is going to bless people. The Revelation commentary from a pre-rapture perspective by Dennis James Woods. It's going to bless people all over the world. People are going to attack me. They ain't gonna like me. They're gonna call me names a heretic because I'm not pre-trib. I ain't scared of none of these. Fools. I ain't thinking about. Them. I ain't thinking about them. God gave me an assignment. I ain't got time to worry about what Dr. Sudden Sutton, Sutton, He down there. I, don't invite me to your church. You don't want me to you don't want to hear this. Fine. I don't care. Glory to God. I ain't worried about you. <laughs> I got an assignment. I'm indestructible until God, my time is up. Glory to God. So are you, actually. That's another conversation for another time. Okay, now look at this right now. And then he says, Go pour your bowls out on the earth, the bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome, malignant, cancerous sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and worship his image. Okay, first of all, what you have to understand the very first target of the wrath of God is people who take the mark of the beast. So that means the Antichrist got to be in place and all of this before. Now, the wrath of God that we're not appointed to is this one. Glory to God. Now people say, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, uh." No, at the sixth seal, the, the wrath of God said the wrath of God does not start at the sixth seal. I got a whole teaching called the sixth seal problem and why it's inappropriate to say that. Glory to God. So I have a whole teaching on that. I think if you look at look at my uh, my lessons, you'll see the sixth seal problem why I have my chart, do my chart and everything. You'll see you'll see why that that's not true. But anyway, getting back to this, the very first thing is the people that get the mark of the beast, they're going to get dumped on by God, okay? Everybody that's got the mark of the beast, all seven of these bowls are targeting the world and those who have the mark of the beast. It's a death sentence to get that, okay? Let's just be very clear. I don't care what anybody tells you. I don't care if it's John MacArthur his brother, his sister, his cousin, the pastor that take over, uh, Phil Jackson, his administrator, his editor, and all of that, over grace to you, man, I don't care who says it. They are a lie. If they tell you, you can get the mark of the beast and still be redeemed. I don't care what theological arguments they use. Do not listen to that, ladies and gentlemen. Do not listen to that. It's a very, very serious thing. Okay. All right, now, So the wrath of God is going to be poured out on the bowl judgments. And then at the end of him pouring those bowls out, then Jesus comes back in in Revelation chapter 19. Okay, now we'll go there later. Now, the reason this is important is this part of the wrath of God happens during Daniel 70th week at the end. The church is already raptured by this point. They're not on earth for the wrath for these bold judgments. That, that, we're not appointed to wrath. We're not in here. We're not, we're not, we're not going to be part of the temporary wrath, nor are we going to be part of the, uh, uh, the eternal wrath. But what I wanted to get back to is I wanted to point out that the bowls of the wrath of God target the people, the wicked kingdom of the beast and his kingdom. Our glory to God. Now, let's go back to Revelation 14. So I want to show you this. So this is the first part. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives the mark on his forehead, on his hand, he will also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. Now you see that semicolon there? It's important because we're about to change thoughts. We're about to bring in a a different thought here, okay? Listen what it says. The conjunction, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the lamb, and the smoke of that torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast or his image or whosoever receives the mark of his name. Okay, now, and notice what he says here. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. See, it's going to be a very, very tough time, okay? But you have to understand, God is gracious. What he does is he sends an angel to the planet. This is actually an angel saying this from heaven. He yells it out to the world to warn them not to get the market of beast. This is the grace of God in action. Even during the time of the enterprise, he's actually going to send an angel, ladies and gentlemen, to the planet and warn people not to get the market of beast. The reason why he does that is because getting the mark of the beast is a one-way ticket to hell. So since it's a one-way ticket to hell, that means he issues a new commandment specifically for this sin, which is a sin that can only be committed one time in human history. No other generation of people on the planet has ever been able to commit this sin because it can only be committed while the Antichrist is here. It's the only time it can be committed. And if you commit this sin, you're going straight to hell. So because you'll go straight to hell, God is gracious. He sends an angel, he warns people, okay? The problem is if you get the mark of the beast, you will experience them bold judgments, but you will also experience eternal punishment. In other words, this part here, shrinking the wrath of the wine of God and being poured out in the cup of his anger. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the temporary part of the wrath of God that happens during Daniel's seventy week. Okay? The eternal aspect of the wrath of God happens in the second part of the sentence. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels and the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of that torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. Whoso worships the beast and his image and whosoever receives the mark of his name. And then that's why he ends it with here. He says, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus because it's going to be costing people's lives and everything And so this is why he does that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up, ladies and gentlemen, because we still got to talk about the hour of trial. But I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna leave you with this. In order to figure out what the hour of trial really is, we have to come back to another one of the churches. And that church is the church of Smyrna. Now, Smyrna was like Philadelphia. It's two churches that didn't get a rebuke. They had things in common. They both were small churches. They both were being persecuted. And they both had no rebukes. They were both of good moral character. Listen to what the Lord said. I know your tribulation and your poverty. God says, parenthetically, but you are rich. Let me tell you something. Don't you ever let nobody tell you because of the amount of money or the wealth that your church has or people have. That's what God marks as somebody that's blessed. Not true. Now, God can bless you materially. And if he gives it to you, God God bless you. Hey, look, you can buy a jet bag. (laughs) You got the money for it. (laughs) everybody ain't broke, okay? So, but the the bottom line is, this was a poor church. They didn't have all the gold and all the fancy, fancy schmancy stuff. They didn't have all that. There was a poor church, right? He says, and the blasphemy who say they are Jews and are not, but the synagogue of Satan, there we get again. That was a problem back in the day. Then verse 10, he says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. Now, let's, let's just stop right there. He didn't say the devil wants to cast you into prison and I'm going to stop him from doing it. No, he's telling them up front. Some of y'all going to jail. Ladies and gentlemen, Jails back in them days, if you went into jail and got out, you was really blessed because of all the disease and vermin, and the beatings of the guards and the wickedness of other inmates and all that stuff. If you didn't starve to death or you get sick from the rancid food they were serving you in, and the cold conditions and all of that cold, rainy, you know, they didn't have air conditions, glass windows, and all they ain't had that, they didn't have duck work to go through to bring in heat and, and all that stuff. No, look, if you was in one of these jails, a lot of time being in the jail was a death sentence. Okay, this is what he said. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you to prison so that you will be tested and have tribulation for 10 days. Okay? This is what he says. Be faithful unto death. This is Jesus talking to them. Jesus is saying, when you go into jail in some of these circumstances, you are going to die there. He said, but be faithful unto death. Don't be no coward. I don't like cowards. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. Listen to this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death, there it is. second death, we're going to leave it right there, because next time we're going to have to pick it up, what is the second death, Lord God bless your people that have tuned in with me tonight, in the name of Jesus, bless them and keep them in Jesus name, until next time, we'll see all of you, God bless you again, all of those of you who are on iHeartRadio Radio and uh, 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 Amazon uh, podcast, God bless you. All of those that are on Spotify, or Google, or Apple iTunes uh, podcast, you guys are already with me. Listen, God bless you. Look forward, pray for me because I got to get this commentary out. All of these good teachings are going to be in my commentary. Glory to God! It's going to be a lot of pages, a lot of reading. But listen, this is a commentary. This ain't no. This ain't no hundred-page book. This ain't going to be like that. Look. <laughs> It's going to be the real deal, but I just want y'all to pray for me as we pray for you. God bless you and keep you in Jesus' name. We'll see you next time in Jesus' name.